So um, if, you're, if you're joining us for the first time, thank you, especially today. What we do is that we learn theology, we try to um, learn doctrine. We like to say that the Bible is a very big book, but it's a book given to us so that we can understand. Now, sometimes how you put all of that together, um, it's not always simple, but yet um, God wants us to understand. So that's why we do this. We have to know what's the foundation of the things that uphold our faith. So at City Church, learning is one of our very important the things that we emphasize in building the culture of this church. Now, as we've said, this, today is the last of a four-part teaching. And one of the things we said to build up the, the, the beginning of the teaching was that some things in the Bible are more easily understood than others. Some things are uh, controversial, some aren't. Now, this one falls into being controversial and a little bit more complex. Um, we've been talking about how to think of the sovereignty of God and, hum and the human responsibility. And so the first time we looked at it, we, we looked at how God is totally in control, and yet, even though he's totally in control of the world, that doesn't mean that we're not responsible for the actions that we take. And the fact that we, are, we do things, we take choices, we make choices, we make decisions, that doesn't mean that God is just trying to respond. He's trying to learn the things. Uh, he's trying to, God is not a totally responsive God. It's not like, oh, after they've done this, Oh, I didn't know. I thought they, were, they could either go A or they could go B. So I'm going to wait for, to see whether it's A or B, and then God responds. No. So our choices and decisions are not meaningless, but at the same time, we have a God that is totally in control. Now, working this out um, in, in the grand plan of what the Bible, um, uh, the Bible is giving to us for, which is it narrates a story of God's redemption, it narrates a story of God's uh, salvation through Jesus Christ. When you think about the sovereignty of God and human responsibility, and then how God's plan of redemption works out together, that was what our second and our third, and, going to, and this last, um, this last uh, teaching is going to be on. So that's why we, we call the last three, how salvation works. One of the things that we learned in the, uh, the not, this, not the last one, but the one before that, was that the context of God's salvation plan comes in deep uh, with people it comes to people with deep sin and that sin has broken affected everyone right it's made us um, almost morally uh, paralyzed morally paralyzed to be able to it's not just that we always will sin is that we can't we don't even desire god we don't even choose him so that's what he's done to us and so in that regard god then starts his salvation plan he chooses before the foundation of the world uh, people and he predestines them to a perfect life in Christ Jesus. Now, um, we then saw that Jesus Christ came to die um, um, for, the, for the people that would believe in him. Now, notice what happens. God, who is totally in control, God who isn't governed by time, space, and all the things that we, we, we are associated with, associated with, he had actually done his plan before, before the, uh, the time began. However, you and I learn only in time and space. So the plan of God that um, precedes time is only effected within time. Do we understand that? The plan precedes time because God dwells outside of time, but it is effected in time. That is what you and I try to understand. Now, so far, we've looked at what God has done in that plan outside of human beings. What I mean by that is God planned... And then Christ came to die. That is outside of us. Do you, you see what I mean? Like, um, 
um, if the president um, announces a policy today, the president announcing the policy in Rock is outside of you and I. Now, however, how that policy affects us, then that's subjective. Do you understand that? So God setting a plan, Jesus Christ dying, all of those things are outside of us. But then, how about what happens to us? You know, what ha in that plan, the outworking of that plan, how do we then see it subjectively happening in our lives? That is where the role of the, the role of the Holy Spirit, and that's what we want to talk about today. How He works that through in us personally, and He brings it to the end. All right. So let's start. Uh, let's start now. Let me ask you a question. Um, how many of us would identify ourselves as Christians here? Hands up if you identify yourself as a Christian. Okay? Obviously, the people at the back are sitting there in the This is how I know you guys are not listening. This is how I know that people that sit down there don't listen. Oh, okay, now there is no. They don't know why there is no their hand. <laughs> All right, we identify ourselves as Christians. Okay, so let me then ask the question Why do you think that when you believed, when you, when you believed after hearing the gospel and became a Christian, why do you think that other people probably didn't believe? Why did you believe and they didn't? Oh, sorry. Why did you become a Christian? Why did you become a Christian and those people did not become Christians? Let me answer for you. Because you decided to and they did not. Right? Right? And that's true. Why did you decide and they didn't? So you, you became a Christian. They didn't, they didn't become Christians because they decided not to, and you decided to. Why did they decide not to, and why did you decide to? Let me see if I'll find this, uh, this answer will help. Because you were convinced and convicted, and they weren't. True? True? Is that controversial? It's not, so some people looking at me with suspicious eyes. There's no, this is actually literally what the Bible teaches, right? You were convinced about the message that you heard. You were convicted by it. And so you decided to repent and believe in Christ. The person who did not become a Christian was probably most likely not convinced or definitely was not convicted. And so they did not make that decision. Are we together? One more question. Why were you convinced and convicted and they weren't? Maybe because you are smarter. Tebbo seems to think about that. So all those people in your family are not smarter. The ones that are not Christians. Took his family. You are lucky you answered that way. I was going to say, and the people in my own family that are not. What do you think? Is it because we're not smart? Is it, is it that, is it that, yeah, that we understood better than those people? Or, let's even say it better, those people were all bad before we believed, but those people were badder than your own. They weren't as, you weren't that bad. And that's why you believed and they didn't. You see, the more we keep asking the question why and why, the first question is very easy for us to answer because we can interact with it at a human level. Even the second one, we can still differentiate at a human, at a human level of understanding and trying to figure things out. 
But the further we go, we are then removed, the further back we go, we are then removed from just giving a normal human answer as to why. What differentiates both of you? So how do we know? You see, Jesus actually is faced with that kind of scenario. In John chapter 6, Jesus has just performed one of his most famous miracles. You know what happened? People were in the wilderness. Have you ever gone for a conference and the speaker spoke for too long and all you were thinking about was the food? Have you ever been for a meeting? And that's why we actually give the food before, beforehand. Because we know you people are all governed by your bellies. But let's just say, so these guys were with Jesus, they're in the wilderness. At some point, they're like, Jesus, we don't understand. Everything they are saying is going out of our, 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 it's going through here and going that way. Now, there was no Mama Put there. There was no Mr. Biggs. There was no McDonald's. All of those things were there. All that happened was a guy brought his lunchbox. Lunchbox for himself. He had five loaves of bread, two fish, right? Titus, it was Titus, it was sardines, actually. Had a bit of cod liver oil. So the boy was going to do a nice Titus sandwich for himself. So these disciples bring him, and what does Jesus do? Jesus gives thanks, and then he gives everybody sandwich. I know we, that thing never, I've never actually felt. Like even he said that he multiplied Gary now. You understand? And then somebody came with small okra, and somehow Elasipo just came out like that. You know, that one actually gets to me. But these guys like bread, they like fish, so they all eat. And then what happens is the next day, so Jesus in the evening goes on a boat, he goes somewhere. Then the next day, some people now come to look for Jesus. And when they look for Jesus, you think oh, they're just looking for Jesus because the sign of what that miracle was, that's what they were looking for. Before, after they written, they wanted to know something deeper. But Jesus actually spotted why they came. Jesus says in, in John 6, 26, Verily I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. They wanted more sandwich. And then what happened was, Jesus decided to start teaching the real reason for that miracle. And he teaches for a long period. In fact, he starts to say weird things, to be honest. Because he says, you guys wanted to eat, but I am actually the bread of life. You are bread. Yes. And actually, what you need to do is to eat me. So people are like, ah. This one, is, this one is too much. What do you mean by eat you? Do you mean like, yes, you have to eat my body and you have to drink my blood. Ah, cannibal. <laughs> this is what the, their parents told them, don't follow all these occultic people. Don't follow. They're like, this thing is, we enjoy when you multiply bread for us. But this teaching is too hard. So they said in verse 60, on hearing it, many of the disciples, people that used to follow him said, this is a hard teaching. <laughs> Who can accept it? Verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. I'd have to say to you sometimes that you actually follow some people. What happens, you used to, they used to touch your lives, and then they start saying some funny things. Like when they start telling you, do you know what the six fingers of Goliath means? You know what you do? You turn back, and you don't follow again. Don't follow them again. You understand? But if you want to know what the six fingers of Goliath are, I'll tell you later. All right? It's very deep. Now, so they didn't follow Jesus again. But guess what? 
some people stayed. Some others stayed. Listen, in verse 67 to 68, after that 68, where he says some people went away, then Jesus spoke to his 12. He says, you do not want to live too, do you? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. So let me ask you, why did the disciples stay? And why did the others go? Well, the disciples stayed and the others went because on the surface, as we can see, Peter understood the identity of Jesus Christ and he had come to understand that this was the one God sent. He had the words of eternal life. That's why he stayed. He took the decision not to go and the reason he took the decision not to go was because he understood something other people didn't. But if you read the gospel stories that you will find out that Peter is anything but a smart guy. Peter is anything but a guy that is just willing to follow Jesus. Later, you will realize that Peter had told Jesus, I will never deny you, ever. In one night, he denied Jesus three times. He wasn't the guy that you... So what happened? He wasn't smart, that smart, because he was... He didn't go to, you know, he didn't go to college. He, didn't, he was a fisherman. So why did Peter stay, and why did the others go? It was not just that the fact, the fact that he was so willing in and of himself, or he was so smart in and of himself. Well, you see, Jesus had given the answer earlier. Because on the one hand, if you ask that question just from a human perspective, we go down into, I understood, maybe the others didn't. I was convinced, and the others were not. I was convicted and the others were not. And that is true. But Jesus' answer goes beyond the human. He is not saying the human doesn't matter. In fact, we see that the human matters. But he's saying that beyond the human, God was at work. There's another aspect of this that we must see. And we see that in verse 35 in John chapter 6. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and, you, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives to me, verse 37, all those the Father gives to me, say that with me, all those the Father gives to me, will come to me. And whoever comes to me, you are meant to repeat. All right, let's start again. All those the Father gives to me, will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. In other words, Jesus was showing God was at work because he says, the ones that come to me, they were given to me by my father. Why did they come? They came because they understood. They came because they believed. They came because they were convicted. But why did they come from the divine perspective? Because the father had given them to Jesus. That's why they came. Or look at verse 44. He expands further. Verse 43, stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless. In other words, Jesus on the one hand says, when he says no one can come to me, he's saying it's impossible for you to come. But then he gives an exception. That's what unless helps with, right? Like, for instance, Elijah's hair 
will continue to get lost. Like his hair will continue to go back further, further. Elijah will continue to go bald. Unless I pray for him. Unless I put my hand and I lay my hand. What do you understand by that? That means without my intervention, Elijah will continue to go bald. Do you understand that? That there is no other way. That's how unless works. You first make a statement, a categorical statement, this is it. But the unless. Stand up, stand up. You've not paid your title. I checked, I checked last month. Unless. This person will go, will, will, the business will die unless they start to treat their customers better. Do we understand that? No one can come to me. That is, you can't. He's not saying no one will. He says no one can. They have, they lack the ability to come. Unless, there's an unless. Unless, they think harder. Is that what it says? Unless they try harder. Unless they love more. What is the unless? Who is that working? The unless. Unless the father who sent me does what? Draws them. So what Jesus was saying was, think deeper. The more you keep asking the wise and going backward and backward and backward, eventually you cannot answer that question with human beings. You have to answer that question with God. God had given those to him, and so because of that he said they would come. Because they will not be able to come unless the Father draws them. And then if you go further down, back to verse 60, I'll just read 60, 63, 65. This hard teaching, why is it that some left and some said, we will stay? Because in John 16, let me just read it on. Hearing it, many of the disciples said, this is a hard teaching, who can accept it? And Jesus in verse 63 says, the spirit gives life the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. And then in verse 65, 65 he says, he went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled. He gave an ability, enabled, he gave an ability that was not there before. But it could not happen without the spirit. The flesh profits nothing, but the spirit is the one that gives life. It's the spirit that enables. This is what he's trying to say. In other words, just like Jesus says that my sheep hear my voice. They will not follow the voice of a stranger. They respond to my voice. What Jesus is saying that the reason we follow is that we heed the call. The call. The call. There's this thing about the call that you see throughout Scripture. That God calls and someone responds. Not the call where there's just a call, some people decide to respond, some people don't. No, no, no. There's a call that on the basis of the call itself, people respond. It's an effectual call. A call that is effective. Maybe the earliest and most popular one we know is in Genesis chapter 12. The whole world is in a mess. Because Adam and Eve sinned and decided to beget more and more children, God had almost wiped up everybody after Noah. 
but the eight of them, they now multiply. But eventually, people then come together in a rebellious act to build their own temple to try and reach God in Babel. God scatters them, and now their languages, they go into nations. And these nations are still in rebellion against God. And then God introduces us to a family, the family of Nahor. And then eventually he gets us to one of the descendants who is called Abraham. He's also part of these nations in the Chaldeans. They are among the Chaldeans. And therefore, he is an, idol, an, an, um, an idolatrous worshiper, his whole family. And then God says what? Let's open Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. And then the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. Did he respond? Did he respond? So in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, he describes it this way. He says, by faith, Abraham, when called, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. God called the guy called Abraham, and Abraham obeyed and went. You also see this call among um, some special group of people that God calls to a particular ministry. So take the prophet um, Isaiah. We see that in Isaiah chapter 6. Who shall go? And there I said, here I am, what? Send me. Or in Jeremiah chapter 1, Jeremiah responds to God's call. He's, 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 he's a young guy, but eventually this is what happens. God speaks to him and says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Verse 7. But the Lord said to me, do not stay. Uh, so, but the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Did he do that? Did he start saying things? Let me tell you. He started saying things. Do you know how I know? The longest book in the Bible is the book of Jeremiah. The guy had a lot to say. And it's not very easy, the things he said. Ezekiel, too, had his own in Ezekiel chapter 2. He was called. He said to me, son of man, stand up on your feet and I will speak to you. Verse 3. Ezekiel, that's Ezekiel 2 verse 1 and 3. He said, son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me and their ancestors have been revolted against me to this very day. Did Ezekiel go? He received the call, and that call affected his, his obedience. Now, if you say that's the Old Testament, well, Paul himself, the apostle, saw his apostleship almost in like manner with these prophets. So Paul in Galatians chapter 1, verse 15, 16 says, But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb, and, I'm sure you know what he's going to say after, and what? Called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Or 1 Corinthians 1, verse 1 says, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. They heard God's voice, and his special appointment for them to go and serve in a particular ministry. They heard it, they heard the call of God, and they left. Now, you may say, well, that is just, that is for ministry. That's their vocation. In the same way that um, uh, Kemi is called to the NGO sphere, she would say, 
Um, Hanatu will say she's called to being a lawyer, right? Uh, Toki will say he's called to being an engineer. What? Well, and um, Tedo is called to just being annoying. <laughs> you may say, well, this is just a vocation. <laughs> but does this, does this work out in a redemptive way, in a redemptive sense? Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. That's where we first see it in some way, in a re, an overt redemptive way. You know, Israel, God saved Israel from Egypt, remember? They were in slavery. And when they were in slavery, God sent Moses to them, 10 plagues, brought down Pharaoh, Red Sea, all of those things. Israel came out of Egypt. We often think about that. Did they come out of Egypt? How did they come out of Egypt? Did they walk? Did they walk? So if they decided not to walk, they won't leave Egypt, right? So they walked. But here is how it is described in Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, what did I do? I called my son. The experience, the redemptive experience that, or the, the liberating experience that Israel experienced in Egypt was described as a response to the redemptive call of God. Do we see it? The point being that God is the first one at work in redemption. He calls and then we respond. This does not negate our own response. It doesn't negate our own action. It's saying that our action is not the only thing that is involved. In fact, can I put it in another way? It's saying that our action is not the decisive thing that is involved. At a human level, our actions are decisive. At a divine level, God's action is decisive. Amen? So that was Israel in that Old Testament place. But this is why, as I said, he calls us, he then says to us that we respond to the call of the shepherd. So when you now go through Paul's letter, you see this call, this call in this salvific way, you see it all over. I'm going to ask you to read some, to get some scriptures for me. So who can help? Who, who, who has an NIV Bible with them straight away? Hanato, you have? 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 14. Can we get a mic? Next person volunteer. Tedo? Romans 1, 6 and 7. And then, um, Tommy, you're not looking. Uh, um, Eva? Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 7, and then Nanke, 1 Timothy 6, verse 20. Okay. Now listen, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 14. 2 Thessalonians 2, 14. He called you to this through our gospel, Stop. that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when he's saying the gospel, he says that we are called, how? Through the gospel. So it's not just that God, just, you know, uh, Dami was at home. And then he had a particular vision. All right? The, the, the building was shaking. The clouds were thick. The clouds then opened. And there was a voice as of a trumpet that came down and then said, Dami, I want you to be saved. <laughs> you know why I say it's possible? That's exactly what happened to her, right? All right, can we pause? Can we all start praying for Taiwo's salvation? <laughs> because whatever she got, she didn't get. He said, we are, we are called through what? 
the gospel. Now, it's not that there are not steps. So, for instance, there can't be a dream beforehand. They can't, people have had various experiences. There are many people in the Islamic world today that Jesus is speaking to them through dreams. Nonetheless, for that call to be fully effective, what does it say? Call through what? The gospel. Now, today we're going to read Romans 1, 6, and 7 for us because two of them have different calls. Go ahead. And you also are among the Gentiles. Sorry, and you're also among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So we are called through the gospel. Another way of describing it is that we are called to what? Belong to Jesus Christ. God calls us, not, no, no, you are going to read verse 7. God calls us not to belong to ourselves, not to belong to other gods. He calls us through the gospel to belong to who? Jesus. Keep going, verse 7. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. They are not just called through the gospel, called to belong to Jesus, but they are called as this set apart, God's holy people. And if they are God's holy people, then what does that mean? What does that say about the way they live their own lives? Eva. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Is that NIV? No, please. Um, oh, my word. We, we don't use that version here. We don't even know. I didn't, we don't even... I've never... What, what, what's that? Why would you want to go for something that is standard when you can have something that is new? And, because we Nigerians, we love this, especially Nigerian Christians, and international. Why? I'll give you one more chance. Do you have it? Oh, my gosh. Can we pause and start praying for... Wow. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7. You hear me? So if they are called to be holy, if they are called to be God's holy people, God's holy people, according to what Tedo read in Romans 1, verse 7, how then should they live their lives? For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. So he, because they are God's holy people, he's called them to do what? Now, but then, what is the end of all of this? What is the end of this thing that we are doing? This God's redemptive plan. Where is it taking us to? Well, then, 1 Timothy 6, verse 20. Who was that? Nanke. Timothy. 1 Timothy 6, verse 20. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted. No, no, 12. 12. Fight the good fight of yes. the faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession so, in the presence of what are we fighting for at the end of the day this good fight what are we fighting for for eternal life to which we were what called listen to me in some sense we are believers we are called believers because we believe isn't it we are called the elect because we were chosen we are called sons because we are adopted we are called saints because we were sanctified. We are called the called because we were what? Called. Romans 8 verse 28. Because all of this thing is really the purpose of God. All things work together for those who love God and are what? Called according to what? His purpose. What is this purpose? It's this redemptive purpose. So the point is, have you heard the word, the call of God? Because it is God's call that affects our response. Now, quite often, this point of it is God that calls us 
this is why we believe, is usually challenged. And there are two arguments that, two kinds of people that people would push uh, before us to say, well, I don't believe this. Because the question, the first question is this. What if the first person is called the unwilling but accepted? That is, what if you are elect, they would say. What if you are elect, but you don't want to come to Christ? Or you never actually believe. So you are elect, but you don't actually want to come. Or you never even come in your life. What is going to happen? Well, what if you don't want to come? Maybe God is bringing you kicking and screaming into the kingdom. So you are unwilling, but you know God is the one that calls, and so he's going to force you, so he accepts you. Or maybe it's just, no, she's elect, so she doesn't have to believe. Is that how it works? Now, this, let me first say that this person doesn't exist. This unwilling person and accepted person. You know why it doesn't exist? Jesus, John 6, uh, John 6 verse 37. All those the Father gives me will do what? All those the Father gives me will what? Come to me. There is no such thing as somebody who is unwilling and will be accepted. You know why? Because everyone God has given to Jesus Christ will do what? Come. They will answer. There's no such thing as uh, he called. They didn't want to answer. But you know God has already chosen them. Jesus is saying that doesn't exist. What has happened in eternity's plan will be effected in time. All those that the Father gives to me will come to me. Okay. There's another group of people. These are the ones that are, let's call them, the willing but rejected. You know, some of us maybe think about God's... Um, call in this kind of way. What if, what if you are the kind of person, you know, this guy, what if you are the kind of person that wants to drive a Range Rover? Or maybe you are the kind of person that wants to drive a Bentley, and you don't have them. What do you do? You call God. Maybe like these guys who wanted the Bentley and wanted a Range Rover. Maybe like these guys. Let's hear that now. Well, in case you didn't hear them, what they were saying was this. Baba God. I want to drive a range. Baba God, I want to drive a Bentley. But hold on, hold on. But the range, now let me ask, because Tomiwa and Dami, uh, Dami, are you driving a range? Are you driving a Bentley? Yes. So because, because, because they are not yet driving, listen to me, because they are not yet driving the range, because they are not yet driving the range or the Bentley, what do they do? They say, answer my call, oh. answer my So what if there are people that are so willing, but they are not elect, and they're saying, God, answer what? My call. 
Are there people like that? God, he will answer it. You have still been calling. Oh, life. He said, nothing, nothing that is done shall ever be hidden. It shall, it shall come out. Be, be sure that your sins will what? Find you out. You see how? But back to it. Now, there's a serious point. In this Adekunle Gold song, he's basically saying, I need this thing, I need this thing. God, answer my call, answer my call, answer my call. And so the second, I would call it a straw man argument, is what if this person is so willing? But because God will say, ah, you are not part of the elect. You are not part of the elect. I can't answer your call. Well, first, here's the problem again. That person does not exist. Why? Because after Jesus says, all those the Father gives to me will come to me, you know what he says? And whoever comes to me, I will not drive away. That person doesn't exist. Don't forget, in this song, it's saying, answer my call. But the whole point is not whether or not God answers our call. It is whether or not we answer God's call. He's the one that does the calling. And for all those that he has given to Jesus Christ, you know what, what happens when he calls them? The answer is called. Paul had two incidents in, in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 13, Paul has just started his missionary journey. He's been sent out from Antioch with Barnabas. They get into a place called Antioch Pisidia. They go to the synagogue first. He expounds the scriptures, but a lot of people, Jewish people there, did not believe. And so Paul said, because some Gentiles also listened to it, so Paul then said, ah, you people that don't want to believe, I now understand what is happening. So here is the thing. He preached the gospel, Acts 13, verse 38 and 39. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, so the gospel, through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you are not able to obtain under the law of Moses. So after this, as I said, a lot of the Jews were pushing against him. And then he says, ah, is that the way you guys want to treat this? So in verse 48, he then says, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad, because he said, now God has sent us to the Gentiles. When they heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord. And the crucial bit, listen to it. He says this, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. Paul came with the gospel, and in the gospel, God was calling. But who were the people that responded in belief? Those that were appointed. Somebody else, sorry, it wasn't Paul, it was Peter. Peter had his own experience in Acts chapter 10, but the story is narrated in Acts chapter 11 again. He had to go and report to some of the guys in Jerusalem. But Peter had a dream. And in that dream, he saw animals on the scroll, and they were unclean. It was unclean animals according to the Jewish law. And so God then said, eat. He said, I cannot eat. God said, I can't eat anything that's unclean. God said, don't call what I have called clean unclean. He was preparing him for an encounter with a guy, a Gentile, called Cornelius. Because at this point, the message of the gospel was just going, had only gone to the Jews and, and those who were living in Samaria. But now, God was now preparing to this, this encounter with a guy called Cornelius, a Gentile. So when Peter goes to Cornelius' house, he preaches the gospel. As he's preaching the gospel, the Holy Spirit falls upon the people there, and he's astonished. 
Because if the Holy Spirit has, has fallen on them, that means they what? Believe. So he's narrating this story to some skeptical Jews in Acts chapter 11. And so he says this in verse 17 and 18. So if God gave them the same gift, that's the gift of the Holy Spirit, he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? So when they heard this, that's the people that Peter was talking to, when they heard the whole narration of the story, they had no further objections and praised God saying, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Why did you repent? Why did you repent on your sin, of your sins? You repented of your sins because you were convicted by them, wasn't it? But let's, here's another thing. You repented of your sins because God granted you repentance. And it's the effectual call of God working through the Spirit that starts to make us, he enables us to, re, to repent. He enables us to believe. God has always been working behind the scenes even when we didn't know it. And it's all those who believe, those whom give Jesus, God has given to him that will come to him. I need to start wrapping up. You, see, you need to understand this thing. Some of us may still be thinking, hey, but this call, ah, what if somebody doesn't believe? As in, so does God force us? Does God force us to believe? Hmm. Um, Nigerian hip-hop is really, or let's call it, sorry, Afro-pop is a big thing now, isn't it? You know Afro-pop? I saw uh, Bernard Boy just recently won um, Best International Act in BT uh, Award. Did you see that, Tomo? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, but before this huge industry where all of these guys are, the whiskey, all of these people, there were some guys that were there. They paved the way. They paved the way. Unfortunately, many of them are being forgotten. There was this group, uh, two of, uh, three members. Uh, one, uh, one, the, the, the lead guy was a guy called L, is a guy called LD. And you had another guy, K, KB, Kunibelo. They sang a song. The most popular song was, it went something like this, because they were talking to a lot of their haters and their fans. They said something about, they said, you may hate us, you may not like us, but whether you like him or whether you don't like him, the thing we say, you go still they shake body. Do you understand? There's sometimes that music comes to you. You say, oh, I don't want to like it. You know, that's why when you're growing up, you know, you're growing up and they told you, don't listen to secular music. And then they just play that song. Just be doing like, ah, what's my body? What's happening? What's, is it nerve pains or nerve? I can't control it. No, tribesmen explain. Whether you like him or you don't like him, the thing we say, what? You go still the shake body. Remember that time they told you, don't listen to Shinon Peters. But you know what was happening. <laughs> eh? You know what was happening. The way music moves the body. When you are shaking your body, do you think, were you forced? How many of you sometimes, your mom, your husband, your wife, they cook food, especially when you are fasting? I remember one, I can't forget this, I was fasting. My mom had cooked something, but I was fasting. I said, you know, I was a great man of God. He said, when you get to it, king's table, what do you do? 
to put a knife to your to your throat. Like, I will not. You know? So they cooked before, a few days before, there are some things that said, God forbid. Me? Never. Temptation. Get away from me. I needed to put my, set my fist as a flint. But one day I now came back. I was passing through the kitchen. Remember I just cooked? You know this kind of, you know this devilish effort? <laughs> now, effort is nice. It's okay when the, when the leaves are green. But when the leaves become black, oh, God. You know what's happened. Have you seen when Pomo has started to turn to orange? The, that is, the palm oil has entered it. Do you understand what I mean? You, you, you know what I mean? I'd seen it, but I thought my eyes could, you know? Because sometimes it's not everything. Seeing is not believing. And then as I was going, I smelled something. And then I said, what? I thought I had I had my name. The F4 has started to call me. Has food ever called your name? Called, like called your name. You say, you say, ah, what's that? I broke the fast early. It was, it was too early. Now, was I forced to eat that food? Yes. It depends, I mean. <laughs> I was called. That was I was called. But was that called? Was it a foreseen call? Uh, but the audio just, it was an effectual call. <laughs> Compelling. You couldn't argue against it. And it's the same thing some of us, when I think about my wife, the way her love draws my heart. Like when she wants me to do something for her. You understand? The way she would call, when she's, she's called me, she just looks at me in a certain way. I know I shouldn't do this thing, but I don't have a choice. I just want to do it for her. When we talk about the drawing of God, and what did I say? She's laughing. You know what I'm saying? Because right? I want something. But that's <laughs> you have to. You work it. You work it. Young Dami, you're learning now. You start the day before. When we talk about the way God draws, it's the same way music moves the body. The same way the aroma of food makes us salivate. It's the same way love of a spouse draws us to do the things that normally we won't do, but we'll still do willingly. God doesn't force us kicking and screaming into the kingdom. He draws us to himself. Amen? Amen. That's what makes it effectual. The Spirit takes somebody who could not, who would not choose Jesus Christ, and he somehow works in our heart so that we can hear. So that when we hear, when he calls us and we hear, what do we do? We believe. And when we believe, that same spirit comes into our lives and he does something to us. You know what he does? He gives birth to us again. He makes us alive. This is what we call being born again. Notice, go back to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, now just jump to verse 30, 29 and 30. Those that he foreknew, what did he do? He predestined. Then when you go to verse 30, those that he predestined, he did what? Those that, okay, are you there? Are you there? Those that he predestined, he did what? He called, as he drew them. Now when they, he draws them, he, they now believe in him, repentance and faith. And remember what comes to you, one of the shuns that comes to you when you believe is that you are justified, isn't it? So those that he predestined, he calls. 
Those that he calls, he does what? He justifies because they believe in him. Now, when he justifies them, those that believe, if you go to John chapter 1, verse 12, he tells us something. He says in John 1, 1, 1, 11, he says, he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be called what? How did they become the children of God or the sons of God? It is not children born of natural descent, nor children born of a human decision or a husband's will, but how? But they were what? Born of God. So notice the following. When you talk about God's, if God's plan, we can talk about God's sovereignly choosing from the foundation of the world. Then we can now talk about the son, so that's the father, but then the son comes and he dies. But then how does that effectually work in you as a human being? Is that you hear the call of God, the effectual call of God, you hear the gospel, that then draws you to him, you repent and you believe, and then on, upon your profession, your faith, your true faith in him, he what? He regenerates you. He gives you new life. Do we understand that? Is it clear? See, that's what happened with Nicodemus. Nicodemus was drawn. He came to Jesus at night. And Jesus gives him that whole discussion of the new birth and explains that the new birth is predicated on the son who is lifted up and who dies and that when you believe in him, then you get that new birth. Now, in closing, I want to talk about one last thing. All right. Some of us, um, maybe if you've been a Christian long enough, how many of you are familiar with this saying, these four words? One saved. One saved. You know what that means? Right? How many of you, how many of you believed in that terrible, devilish, diabolical doctrine? Eternal security. I'm not, confu- I'm, not, I'm not surprised. Word circle. Word circle. Eternal security. Done. 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 Whatever God has done. Once you are saved, you are what? Always saved. But you see these people, they don't know what they are saying. Because Paul spoke about them. Paul spoke about people that believe such terrible things. Listen to what Paul says about them. No, no, you, you want to see yourself with Paul? Listen to what Paul says about them. Shall we continue in sin? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? You see those people that say, one saved, always saved. You know what they think? Since I'm saved, I can continue living my life anyhow I want. Why? Because Jesus has done it. He has done it. And he has done it. Because they comfort themselves with the fact that they have already believed now. And should be, I'm saved by faith. So I don't need to do anything again. Once saved, always saved. Nonsense. Now, the thing about that once saved, always saved, eternal security is this. The truth is that many people believed and lived their lives and even preached in consistency with what Paul was saying. 
Some people preach it. You don't have to do anything. There's no amount of sin that you will commit that God will condemn you because you are now in Christ Jesus. So when you are sinning, it's not you that is sinning. Because whosoever is born of God cannot what? Cannot sin. So some people will say, since whoever, whosoever is born of God cannot commit sin, and I have believed in Jesus Christ and I'm born of God, when you say that I'm sinning, it's not me that I sin because my new creation man cannot sin. It's not me that I sin in, it's something else that I sin in. Some people preach that. Some of you believed it. <laughs> or they will say this. Some people preach it in this way. Which sins of yours were forgiven when you believed in Jesus Christ? Past, present, future. Therefore, that part of the Lord's Prayer, when it says, forgive us our sins as we forgive our debtors, is not speaking to you. You don't pray that. That's for sinners. Some people preach that. Some people believed it. And some of you believed it. I won't call your name, Olumide. <laughs> you see? Now, some people won't say it that way, but the way they live their lives, the way they live their lives shows that they believe in this abundant grace. That is, even if they are married and they have a woman that is not their wife around them and they are trying to talk them into something and the woman is saying, please don't do that. They say, hey, hey there are levels of grace. <laughs> I can show you levels, higher levels of grace than you've ever known. Amen. Do you understand? Yes, that even if sin should what? Abound. Grace, it doesn't just abound. It's not just that it's a little bit more. It is that grace does what is much more abound. In fact, if you want to show the abundance of grace, the only way you can show the abundance of grace is for you to continue to sin. So that you can show that grace is able to cover a multitude of sins. I'm making a believer out of you, isn't it? Now, here's the problem. Some people heard this so the, the way Paul and others in the, in the New Testament spoke about the finality of when people come to Christ, of what that does for their entire lives, and couldn't, they couldn't harmonize all of the scriptures together to show that the life of sin is something that needs to be fought against. In trying to provide assurance, you are providing assurance to people who were not regenerated at all. And so some people who are concerned about that kind of teaching, the possibility of what that teaching could do, the reality of what that teaching had accomplished, they said, don't say once saved, always saved. The alternative should be once saved, always unsure. It's always better to be unsure. Let's not take God for granted. Do you understand? Because let him that thinketh he does what? Take heed, let's hear. So, okay, it's true, you are saved, but be very careful. In fact, I heard some people, some people say, salvation is by grace, but staying in grace is by works. You understand? Very, very deep. How do you remain a Christian? How do you, how do you become a Christian? The hand of God. How do you remain a Christian? The leg of man. You see, in order, to, in order to counter an error, we move into another error. I love how one pastor put it. He said, 
Once saved, always following. Always following. And I will put, and thus, always saved. Because you have to follow how Christ and how the Bible works it out. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says, in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave? He gave? And whosoever shall not perish. If you believe in him, you shall not what? You know why? Because he perished in your place. And God doesn't deal in eternal double jeopardy. The crime has been paid. It's not going to be paid a second time. Whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Then you say, but how then do we keep it? How do we keep? Because I know that that guy who believes, he behaves in a particular way. How is somebody kept to the end? How do we keep ourselves to the end? Wrong question. Wrong question. Go back to John 6. What did Jesus say in John? Uh, le um, let, me put, let me start with John chapter 10. You know the one about the good shepherd? In John 10 verse 28, he says this. I give them, that's the sheep, eternal life. And they shall never perish. Why? No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. For somebody who has been saved to be unsaved, you know what you must do? You must go into the heavens and go to God and take them out of God's hands. In other words, the responsibility to keep somebody saved does not rest in any human being. It rests in the hand of God. I give them eternal life. They didn't save themselves. I gave it to them. And they will not perish. Why? Because they don't keep themselves. I keep them. And if I keep them, my father keeps them. They cannot be snapped out of my father's hands. In other words, the responsibility, if given to us, we will always mess it up. But if the responsibility is God's, then no one can snatch them out of God's hands. Amen? The reason for this is because Jesus, the plan of salvation was one unto the last day. Listen to what he says, Jesus says in John chapter 6 again. For I have come down from heaven, verse 38, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. You see, some of us, you know, let me, let me just be honest with you. Can I be honest with you? Of course. Can I be honest with you? Of course. You know why some of us get late to church on Sunday? You know why? Because when we set out, between Saturday and Sunday, we, we, when we set out to plan on Saturday for church, we only plan towards Saturday. Whereas the last day is what? It's Sunday. You don't set your plan towards the last day. You set your plan towards Saturday. You only think about Saturday. So when you get to Saturday evening, you know what you don't do? Because you're not thinking of the last day, which is Sunday. The last day of church is Sunday. You know what you don't do? You don't iron your clothes on Saturday. Because you've already gone out on Saturday, 
I know I'm going to church, but I've gone out on Saturday, so I don't need any clothes for Saturday. Hey, but you are thinking about Sunday. Some of us don't put food down. If you want to eat in the morning, you don't put the food down on Saturday. Some of us don't set our alarms. You know church is meant to be 10, 15. You now set your alarm at 10. Shame on you. But God is not like us. You see, God does not look and say, let me share, save them today. Um, how we are going to keep them for the last day, well, we'll figure that out when that day comes. You know that's how we do it on Sunday. Ah, man, let me quickly, eh, eh, let me quickly iron. Hey, the car, after you start it, um, oh, you, did, you, did you get the kids? Let's go. Oh, Pastor Femme is going to be looking at me in one judgmental way. Yes, I do look at you in judgmental ways, <laughs> by the way. Panic. And sometimes we think that God's plan of salvation is like that. In a panic. Ah, Tommy may, Tommy may sin his way out of my hands. What am I going to do? Um, let, let me call Jesus. Jesus, what do you think you can do about Tommy? Because we don't have a plan for how we are going to raise Tommy on the last day. It's like a wish in God's mind. I wish to raise him on the last day, but I'm not sure whether I can do it. God is not like us. Jesus says, this is the will, not even your own will. Jesus says, this is the will of the one who has sent me. In other words, he's saying that a righteous man may fall seven times, but guess what happens? He rises up again. Not just because he wants to, because God raises him up. You may go, you may stray, you may go far away, you may commit some terrible sins, but if you are truly like the prodigal, one day you will say, I will rise and go back to my father's house. The one who is truly not saved will continue to be in a pigsty. But the one who can never be snapped out of the Father's hands, the plan is to take him till the last day. So I want to close with this scripture. Who, um, Ty, would you have an NIV Bible? Let's close with this, Ephesians 1. This is the last scripture. I'll call Ephesians 1, verse, 13, from verse 11 to verse 14. Ephesians 1 from verse 11 to 14. First read 11 and 12. NIV. Yes, NIV. Are you there? So in Christ, we were what? Also chosen. All right. So remember what we said? Chosen. He made this choice from the foundation of the world. But it's not just that he chooses you. He chooses you in Christ. Christ is the ultimate chosen one. And so Christ's people are chosen in Christ. All right? Keep going. Having been predestined according to the plan of him. Who? Okay. So having pre been predestined. Now, remember predestination means predestination. Having prepared a destination for them before the foundation of the world, pre-time. Do we understand? So we were chosen, people were chosen in Christ, and they were heading towards a destination that God had already chosen before time. If you read Romans chapter 8, that destination is to be conformed fully into the image of Christ. All right? So these people that were chosen and predestined unto a certain destination, it was according to what? The plan of him who works out everything 
in conformity with the purpose of his will. Stop. There was a plan. Please say with me, there was a plan. There was a plan. Now, many of us make plans and we, don't, we are not able to fulfill those plans, isn't it? Yeah. I plan to get here early. And the good thing is I'm a pastor, so none of you can look at me in judgmental lights. <laughs> you understand? All right? I apologize to you. You take my apology. Yeah. You should even be happy that I gave you that apology. Yeah. What are you talking about? The reason why sometimes we don't fulfill our plans is because sometimes we are personally irresponsible. And sometimes there are things out of what our control. But when God plans something, he says, according to the one who, according to the plan of the one, so he talks about the plan, but he wants to let you know that this plan will be effected. How does he do that? He now describes the character of the one that planned. According to what? The plan of him, him who works out everything. Who works out everything, meaning he's sovereign. Who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. So he has a, a will that he has proposed, but he's able to work that thing out. He's able to conform the plan to work out in accordance with his own purpose. Do we understand? Keep going. In order that we, who were the first to put out, to put our hope in Christ, mm -hmm. might be for the praise of his glory. So all of this is done. We put our hope in Christ. That is not just what Christ does for us now, but the future hope. All right, in order that, what, that we will put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. So it is not first and foremost for your own glory. God sets the plan up and he works out the plan not for your own glory, but for his own what? Praise, the praise of his glory. Now, I want you to then see in 13 and 14, we are going to now see how this is worked out in time. Keep going. And you also were included in Christ. Included in Christ. When you heard the message of truth. When you heard the message of truth. And what did you do when you heard the message of truth? The message of truth was what? The, the call. gospel of your salvation. Remember, we are called through the gospel. All right, keep going. When you believed. When you then believed, that's when we are justified. You were marked in him with a seal. Ah, wait. You know what a seal is? Huh? You know what a seal is? We all have different types of seals. But, like, for instance, in, during a lot of slave trade eras, right, when somebody has been bought, you put a seal of the mark that that person does what he belongs to you. It's terrible. It's terrible. Now, we have some, some marks that are, are not that permanent, but defin they, they are definitive. So look at Dami now. Dami, stand up. <laughs> you understand? Don't worry. Don't worry. Raise up your hand. Just raise up your hand like this. Don't worry, you're not because you're not facing your world. He just put my analogy, totally. My friend, where is your ring? Just sit down, sit down, sit down. Yemi, please stand. What? Yemi, please stand. Raise up, die your hand. Do you see this in Yemi? This is a seal. You know what this seal is saying? You know what this seal is saying? I'm not in the market. Ladies, ladies, keep off. Right? Keep off. Now, I would say that knowing Yemi, looking at Yemi, that keeping off is not very hard. But you see, you see, if I raise my own hand up, I know some of you are not still getting the message. But how do you deal with this? You understand? Now, this is a seal. 
a seal, Yemi seal. This is saying, Tosin is saying, he belongs to me. Fee is saying, he belongs to me. When you look at Sarah's own, he's saying, she belongs to Dami. Do you understand? Now, <laughs> what of Dami again? I saw it. I saw it yesterday. So I was even happy with the guy. I saw it yesterday. So I just started letting. He left the ring, and you wore rubber band. What does a rubber band mean? Anyway, sorry. That's not. Back to the seal. The seal. The seal. The seal shows that you belong to someone. Now God then says, because you believed in the gospel, because you responded, He put a seal on you. You know what that seal is? The promised Holy Spirit. The promise, he was promised from in the Old Testament, but now has been given. The promised Holy Spirit, when Jesus ascended, he said, I, I want to be with you always. The way I'm going to do this now is by giving you my spirit. So we receive that spirit. It shows us that we belong to God. The Holy Spirit is like God's marriage ring that has been put upon us. But there's a problem. There's a problem. You know I said it's like a marriage ring. Isn't it? But we aren't fully yet the bride of Christ. Like we've been betrothed to Christ, but the marriage doesn't happen. In fact, if you read Revelation 19, it says that there is going to be a marriage feast. So therefore, even though we've been the, the, the ring has been put on us, it's an engagement ring. It's not this ring. Now, I know some of us, maybe you have been proposed to and they've given you an engagement ring and eventually the person broke it off. I don't know. <laughs> but the more responsible people, and I take God to be very responsible, when he puts an engagement ring on your finger, you know what that is saying? When we receive a proposal, a, a ring proposal, an engagement ring, what does that mean? It means that we are expecting that there will be a marriage ring, isn't it? So this Holy Spirit that has been given to us, in some measure he's been given to us, but yet we have not received the full inheritance. We received a title deed. A payment has been made, but the full payment has not been made. Amen? So keep reading. Who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession? Stop. He is a what? He is a what? Deposit. What is the purpose of that deposit? Guarantee. Stop. Say with me. Guarantee. Guarantee. Say it again. Guarantee. For all those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, what is the chance that they will be there on the last day? Guaranteed. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, guarantee. Why? You see, the whole, the Trinitarian God is involved. The Father plans. The Son dies, and he's the one that says, because I die for them, they will not perish. And then the Spirit is a seal upon them, guaranteeing that he's going to come back. Do you guys understand? When we talk about how salvation works, yes, sin is a problem. Yes, we don't choose God. But that is why God starts a plan. He chooses the people. The son comes and dies. And he sends the spirit so that those who are called will not just be called to say, I can live the life I want. No. You are God's possession. And so he calls them to live holy lives. So he says the Holy Spirit is the deposit guaranteeing that the 
the, um, the purchased possession, we've already been purchased. Now, what will happen on the final day? They will be what? Redeemed. That's why in Ephesians 4, verse 30, he says, Don't grieve the Holy Spirit, whom you have been sealed to, or, uh, who has sealed you until the day of redemption. So let me, uh, let me explain something to you very quickly, in case this, I, I, I didn't plan this onto my notes. But some people will say, but, but I know somebody who, he has really been a Christian all his life, he's been around, but now he's, he's like, he's totally run away. Don't mistake the work of the Spirit in somebody's life with the work, on the Spirit, with the work of the Spirit on someone's life. Don't mistake the work of the Spirit in someone's life with the work of the Spirit on someone's life. What do I mean? Hebrews chapter 6, quickly. Hebrews chapter 6, very quickly. Hebrews 6 verse 4. Anybody there, quickly? Okay, tell me you're there. Yeah. You have the mind. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, mm -hmm. who have tasted the heavenly gift. They've tasted, wait, stop. They've tasted what? The heavenly gift. Continue. Who have shared in the Holy Spirit. Who have what? Shared, shared in, in the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Who have tasted the goodness of the word of God. Tasted the goodness of the word of God. And the powers of the coming age. And the powers of the coming age. And who are falling away. Now, if they fall away, those people who have tasted all of these things, who have participated in all of these things, if they fall away, it is impossible to renew them unto repentance. Mm -hmm. And you say, ah, that is somebody that is saved, isn't it? Yeah. That's someone that is saved. Read verse 9. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case. We are convinced of better things in your case. That isn't even though we speak about this people in this way. We are convinced about better things in your place. Uh -huh. The things that have to do with salvation. Stop there. The things that have to do with, that means all the other things that he has described don't have to do with salvation. Let me explain. Jesus healed certain people. Do you understand? The people that Jesus healed, right? The people that Jesus healed, did they benefit from Jesus' healing? Yes. Did they benefit? Did everyone that Jesus healed, did everyone that Jesus healed, was everyone saved? No. Exactly. They tested of the power of the age to come. In the age to come, there will be no sick person. So when you see Jesus restoring somebody's limb back to place, it says about the Messiah in Isaiah chapter 35, that when the Messiah comes, the deaf will hear, the lame will leap. Why? He's bringing the new age, parts of the new age to come. He says there are people who have tested of the age to come. That doesn't mean that their hearts have been changed. There are people that were, in e that were in Israel that came out of Egypt. They were all circumcised on their foreskin. Yet God said, circumcise your hearts. There are people that the Spirit can work His power on. They, we can receive the benefits. We were here together. We all worshipped. When God did some miracles in the church, they benefited from it. And yet that doesn't mean that they have been regenerated. There is a kind of belief that is not a regenerated belief. If you go to Luke chapter 8, when Jesus describes those whose seed was sown um, on, the, on the, the wayside, he said it sprouted a little bit. He said these are those who believe and with joy for a moment. When suffering comes, they go away. But those that God has truly appointed, 
those that the Son has died for, those that the Spirit change, even when they stray away, they return. There's a difference between Hebrews chapter 6 that we just described is somebody who started sort of in the right place and went away in the wrong direction. The prodigal son is somebody who was sort of in the right place, sort of straight away, but he came back. Do we understand that? Why is all of this thing given to us? Why have we gone through all of this? This whole how salvation works, and I'm speaking from the divine perspective. Not from us. From our perspective, we understand. The gospel comes, we believe. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But the divine side is, for it is God that works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Why is it given to us? Well, let me tell you four quick reasons why it is not given to us. It is not given to you for you to feel to, a, to be more superior, a more superior Christian than others. In fact, if you understand it, you cannot feel superior because you understand that it is by grace. You can't. That's why what we've talked about in the last three theology days, some people have called it the doctrines of grace. If you truly understand the doctrine of grace, you cannot feel superior because it is by grace. It was God that did it. Second, it isn't to make us more precise in our evangelism, trying to spot the elect. In fact, if we understand it well, we see that he can save anybody and he will save people. So we go and preach to whoever. You get what I mean? You don't go and transport the elect because God can save anybody. On the one hand, he can save Timothy who was with a Christian mother. And he can save Paul who was about persecuting Christians. So who can he not save? You can't say, I think that person is closer to the kingdom. But here's the thing. Because God has appointed people to salvation, that means you know that your evangelism can bring up, there can be success in your evangelism because it doesn't rest upon you, it rests upon God. Do we understand that? Mm -hmm. We do evangelism, we don't say, ah, but not everyone is going to be saved. No, we say, oh, there are people that are going to be saved. We can guarantee that God is going to save people. And since he has not revealed those people to me, what do I do? I go and preach to everybody, joyfully. Third, it is not given to you it is not given to you. It is also to say that we have no part to play. In fact, if we understand it well, we will see that we must believe, we must follow, we must pursue holy living if we want to be sure that we are truly elect. Don't forget, we looked at it from the divine perspective because that was revealed to us. But in our daily thinking, we don't know, we don't understand what God is thinking. All we know is our own. So if you have sin in your life, what should you do? battle and fight against it. It has told us war against the flesh. People have to believe. You can't say that guy, I think he saves, he's going to be saved without belief. He's in let. You can't say that. And then finally, it is not given to us to go and start, and I want to say this one very clearly. It is not given to us to go and use it to start arguing with other Christians. In fact, if we really understand this, this must make us humble. Because we also only understand by his grace and not by our own strength. As I said last week, you see, the problem is if this thing rests with us, there are two bad things that can happen. If your salvation rests with you, there are two bad things that can happen. On days that you are sinning, on days that you really feel convicted, your conviction will turn to condemnation. You think, I don't have the power to keep my salvation. 
And so it can make us despondent. But on your good days, the days when people are crediting you with how you've changed their lives, how you've touched their lives, how your message, all these things that you felt, when those days happen, you know what will happen to you? You'll feel arrogant. The reason why God gives this to us is so that, it's so that we can have humble confidence or humble assurance. Humble because our own contribution is to always try and mess things up. We were sinners. But assurance because it rests with God. That's why he can say, draw near to me in boldness. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this series of teachings. And we thank you for the time. We spent a lot of time today. We thank you for the time we spent. But we thank you for showing us why you tell us this. Not to feel arrogant. Not to start overly questioning why doesn't God save this person or not. Not for us to go and start arguing with people. Not for us to start feeling like we're more special than others. Help us, Lord, that the teachings, the truths about this thing will give us, will, be, will bear the fruit in our lives that is meant to bear. Help us, Lord, that we will not become people who um, are resistant towards evangelism. Help us not to talk about the gospel in the wrong way. I've heard some people say we're saved by election. I've heard some people say, you know, um, uh, it's all about God and has nothing to do with us. We can see that from the divine perspective, it has all to do with you. From the human perspective, we have our part to play. Lord, I just pray that you would help us to um, uh, see that the call that we responded to was because you called us. Help us, O oh Lord, that every time any good thing happens to us in our lives, that we can always give glory to you because your grace is at work in us. Help us to be more humble, but help us to be bold as well. We ask all this through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Now we spent a lot of